Advent and Plan B. I've taken up Deb's suggestion to read Anne Voskamp's book of Advent devotions, and I hope many of you have too. She has so many deep insights into God's plan, which he brought to earth at the first Christmas, and she expresses them with such a fresh and challenging style and vocabulary. I've also noted that our government has now moved to what they are calling Plan B. After the last couple of years, it might just be better named Plan X, but I'm not going there. I'm not dissecting or analysing government strategies. All I will say is that we all understand that Plan B, by definition, is what we turn to when it appears that our original Plan A is not working as we had anticipated or hoped it would. But back to Advent. It was the very beginning of the book that really struck me hard. If you're reading the book and have watched Deb's devotional on it, you will readily understand this. She says, If you don't come to Christmas through Christ's family tree, and you come into the Christmas story just at the Christmas tree, this is hard to understand the meaning of his coming. She then goes on to talk of the Jesse tree, meaning God's promise that the Saviour, the Messiah, would somehow come from the family of Jesse and his son David. In fact, she also makes it clear that Jesus was to come not only from the line of David, but from the tribe of Judah, the clan of Jacob, the family of Abraham, and to be born from a woman as a human baby. You only have to read the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew 1 and Luke 3 to catch a glimpse of all of this. But perhaps you're wondering why I've linked this with the idea of plan B. Let me try to explain. Jesus's family tree was proceeding, admittedly with a few hiccups, generally quite well until the time of David, at which point God promised David that his line and his sons and his family would reign forever without end. But then, as we discover in the old history books of Kings and Chronicles, most of David's sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, etc., turned away from God. And eventually we read that the Davidic kingdom fell and the people were sent into exile in Babylon. As Anne Voskamp says, it looked as though the whole family tree of Jesse had been chopped right off at the roots. However, over the years from the time of David, God sent a whole string of prophets to warn the people of the serious consequences of turning away from God. But these prophets also indicated that even if the worst came to the worst, such that David's family seemed to have been totally rejected, a new shoot would eventually grow out of the stump of David's family. Anne's book quotes this prophecy as it came from Isaiah, one of the earlier prophets who lived around a hundred years before the fall of the kingdom of Judah. Now, just recently, I've been studying the last prophet, 
Jeremiah, who lived through the dark days when Babylon invaded, conquered and exiled Judah. The exciting thing I've realised afresh is that Jeremiah was not just the prophet of doom and gloom, but that on many occasions he also spoke of future hope, new plans and fresh blessings. At the end of chapter 22, he prophesied that the offspring of Jehoiachin, the latest generation of David's family, would have no successor to inherit the kingdom, leaving, as it were, just a stump, and so apparently negating God's earlier promises. But then, immediately after that, in chapter 23, verses 5 to 6, he said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Was this then God's plan for plan B for the world? I wonder. Does God even use a plan B? I'm not too sure that God had really changed his mind. Jesus was ultimately born into the Davidic royal family, albeit through another strand of the family rather than through the original line of descent. In fact, although all the kings in Judah could trace their ancestry back to David, even from the time of Solomon, it was not always the oldest son of the reigning monarch who succeeded to the throne. So what happened here? Well, you have to read Ezra and also those gospel genealogies again, although I admit they are a little confusing to find out. I'll give you a clue. The name of Zerubbabel crops up, that same guy who rebuilt the temple after the exile, although of course he himself never became king, and it was many generations later about 400 years before Jesus was born. So, maybe what we have imagined was plan B turns out in the end to have been God's original plan. Perhaps that's the right way to understand it. I really don't know. What I have understood, however, is that God is not phased when the people involved in his plan A upset his apple cart. In this example, it certainly didn't negate the promise that God would eventually send a righteous king who would be born into the line of David, that is, Jesus. And there's one other exciting lesson we can learn from this. Even if we mess up our own life plan A, God never gives up on us.